I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. And welcome back to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Dan. And I'm joined by a survivor who is also an author who is sharing his story. His name is Newton Mato, Matos. Newton Matos. Uh, Newton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, listeners, Newton wrote a book, uh, and it's called "Deep Down: Delivered from a Dark Past," and it's it's a, a personal account of this man's troubled childhood, uh, a struggle with depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, and then a road to recovery, which is absolutely what we like to bring down. Um, so Newton, if you would tell us a little bit about the, the book and what led to writing it. And then I want to hear obviously more about that part of the story. So go ahead. Um, yeah. So, um, so the book was, uh, it was never meant to be a book. I was in therapy one day and, um, you know, one of my, one of the suggestions were, Hey, write down some of your nightmares, some of your dreams. And I obviously the bags under my eyes, you can see I never sleep. <laughs> so, uh, they, yeah, um, I was told to do that, started doing it and it was coming together, um, in pieces, but it was, you know, it's not an ABC tutorial through my life. It's, you know, around a lot. So it was coming together like that. And then I was like, you know what, um, during therapy, my psychologist told me, Hey, you know, you're really, you're, you're really like knowledgeable on psychology, you know, just firsthand experience kind of person. And maybe you should be a child counselor. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, but I've been in the Navy 16 years. I don't, <laughs> I don't have an education in that. So I really want to help, but how do I do it? So as I'm writing this, I'm and re reading, like, wow, this, this could inspire, this can really help someone that's going through anything. It doesn't have to be something as traumatic as my experience because trauma hits us all differently. So um, I said, yeah, you know what? This, I'm gonna write this out to be a book. Not knowing how to write a book, not knowing if I could ever write and not knowing how I was gonna get it published. But I just took one step at a time and I kind of let God just take the rest. And it, it really came out well. So I write this book as, as a person, as, as a man at my age right now, as me in therapy, um, and reliving my accounts. So it's not, like I said, it's not ABC. It jumps around so much, but by the end of the story, it, it really has gripped a lot of people. It really has helped a lot of people. And that's all I'm trying to do with this book. Um, the one thing I said when I wrote this book and when I started to get it out there, you know, it costs money to write a book, it costs money to publish it. Um, I'm not really worried about the money coming back. Uh, I feel like if I can just help one person with my story to inspire them to survive and not commit suicide or anything like that, 
um, then everything I've been through would be worth it. And that's kind of where I, I'm going through with this. And so I'm, I'm helping others, but they're helping me. So I always say, help me, help you help me. <laughs> yeah. That's where I go with that. And, and when you talk Newton, about what you've been through, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it's, you know, it, from, from what I've seen, and I didn't, haven't read the entire book, uh, but it's everything, including sexual abuse, physical abuse. Your mom was addicted to drugs, uh, gangs, homelessness. Uh, and then you join the Navy and I can only imagine what kind of things you saw in the Navy you said 16 years in the Navy. Um, thank you for your service. Like this is a lot for any person to go through. And what struck me when I started reading your book in that first chapter, you, you, you start in with this gripping story of how you nearly died by suicide mm -hmm. and it's so real and authentic. And as I'm reading it, you know, I've, I haven't faced what you faced, but as you said, Newton, we all have our own trauma. Um, I I've been at some low points and I've, and I've felt some of those feelings. And as I'm reading your book, man, it took me right there. I could feel it. It was so vulnerable. What is it like being that vulnerable on the page? Um, so writing the story and writing every account of my trauma in detail for the world to read, I got to say, it's re-traumatizing over and over again, especially, you know, when you're writing a book, writing it the first time is the easiest part. Then you have to reread it. You have to reread it, edit, reread it. Re so reliving it over and over again. So it was hard. It was really hard to do. But it was at the same time, if this makes any sense, it was easy because these are real feelings that I've had my whole life. Yeah. That wasn't the first account of my attempts at suicide. Um, it's something that that has plagued our society for a long time. It's a real problem. And I really, really want to get away, get the point across that in that story, in that first chapter, how, you know, I was so going through it and I'm so emotional and I just want to end it and I have my gun in my hand and I'm ready to do it. And I took a second and I stopped, I sat back. I realized the next morning when I woke up, I felt better. So I tell people one more day, just give it one more day. When you feel that emotion and you feel like this is it, this is over, just give it one more day. And I bet you the next day you're going to feel better. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 while I'm writing it down on the pages, it's just flowing out of me. Like this whole story is obviously my life, but I, I don't feel like I wrote it. I feel like God, you know, wrote it through me, some kind of higher power because it was just, it just flowed out of me, got it done in two weeks and I wrote it all down and it was just really in, in, incredible that it, came out so well. So let's get into the story a little bit, if you would. Um, I love that you offer the advice of one more day. It's so, it is so good. One more day. And I love the fact that you've been very open already about your therapy. Uh, you know, talking to someone, getting, getting professional help is so important and, 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 and not being isolated. I feel like it's so important too. Um, so great advice already, but let's get into your story a little bit, if you would, Newton. Uh, mm -hmm so that we can hear that survivor story as far back as you want to go. What can you remember that your trauma has been to get you to where you were at that lowest point? Um, so the, one of the things my therapist says to me is that I have dealt with trauma from such a young age, um, very early on in life to my very first memory. Um, wow that I'm wired different. Um, you know, the fight, flight, freeze, I'm wired, just fight. That's just, that's all I have. Um, 
something comes up or if something happens towards me, I'm automatically on the defense and I'm automatically ready to fight it. Um, so with my journey in life, it was really just, I guess, human nature for me to just keep fighting through it, keep keep going up, keep going up. I had no reason. I had no end point. I had no light at the end of the tunnel. I just pushed because I took one day at a time. And that's kind of the way I still live life. It's a double-edged sword, though, when you take life one day at a time because you don't plan for the future. You just plan to get through the day. Mm-hmm. And it becomes who you are for so long to the point where you don't prepare, you don't plan for retirement. You don't plan for, you know, now that I'm retired Navy, it's, I wasn't expecting it. So, you know, you don't plan for those things. So, um, yeah, um, I, I just, I don't know. It just, it was me pushing through every single day and one day at a time. Yeah. And again, in, in your, some of the research, you know, your, your, your bio and, and about the book and everything. I mean, it's been, every kind of abuse that we talk about on I'm not in an abusive relationship. It seems like you faced was, was the Navy a chance to escape? It was because I know that your listeners can understand this when you go through abuse and let's just say you just go through it for a small amount of time. Um, it, it does change your brain chemistry. It changes who you are. And, and it really, it, it, it's like, it's not on purpose, but your mind automatically says, okay, here's a scenario that's similar. Let me react differently so that I can defend myself. You know, that's just the way it is when you're abused for so long. So what we do is we lose our own identity. We don't have an identity anymore. Now we feel worthless, hopeless. We feel um, vulnerable. We feel as though we don't matter. So when I joined the Navy, it gave me a sense of purpose again. Now here I am a nobody that came from being homeless as a teenager in gangs. I, you know, I did some horrific things as, as a, you know, as I grew up and I, and I write it, I write it in the book very raw. I want people to understand that I'm not a perfect person. I made my own mistakes, but the point that I get to in this book is every mistake that I've made has been because of a trauma that I faced. And that's kind of why that's the kind of the inspiration. I want people to understand that even if you make a mistake in life, it's, it's most likely connected to what happened to you also. So don't be so hard on yourself. So in the Navy, I got a new identity um, and I was able to serve a bigger purpose. I had nothing growing up in the Bronx, growing up in New York. We are pretty much bred and trained to just feel like we're part of the system and we are statistic and, you know, what's going to happen to what happened to your neighbor or your best friend is probably going to happen to you too. So, you know, don't get too comfortable. And it's kind of just like that. So, I was able to serve a purpose without my name being known and it, it felt great and losing it when I retired, when I got injured and then I had to medically retire. Um, and every, I think every veteran deals with this. You, you kind of lose that identity again. So you have to try to recreate who you are again. And, and, and it's not, it can never be something as powerful as serving the country, serving people that never heard of you. Um, but you have to try to find it. So it was a double-edged sword. Um, I did have a lot of service aggravated events that triggered a lot of my PTSD and caused me into a deeper depression. But at the same time, I would have never, ever, ever been able to survive without the military. And it really, I appreciate everything they've done for me. I appreciate that. Some sailors and some Marines and some soldiers, you know, we all look at it differently. Some people are just, you know, in it for four years to get their college and that's fine, but they don't appreciate what they're getting for serving just and i mean that in a 
in a more you know metaphoric way instead of literally monetary and stuff like that like you were you were really doing something big for other people and it's i think that's the best thing you can do for a person yeah i mean and all like not to sound pandering but i mean truly my heart for veterans and, and for the military currently serving is just i'm so appreciative and, and, and in awe of it um but yeah, I mean, but I, I, I could see what you said about being double-edged sword. I can't imagine some of the stress and trauma that that brings up. Um, so yeah. It's a lot of stress in service, um, especially as enlisted. You're, this, is, this is what I'm trying to preach to younger sailors too, because you know, what I'm, what I'm really doing here is suicide awareness and stuff like that. But I'm focused a lot on young groups, teenagers, kids going through it, and then, you know, active duty military or veterans, because what we, what we go through is as 17 years old, 18 years old, you're being put in the most high stress situation that any human being can be put into. You're being told that your life and the lives of people around you are in your hands. And you have to learn how to cope with that for so many years. And that becomes who you are. 16 years, I didn't do anything else. All I did was service, serve, serve, serve. So by the time it's time to get out or by the time it's 16 years later, 20 years later, 25, some people stay in longer you really just don't know how to act in a normal society. So yeah, that's the double-edged sword part of it. Yeah. Um, but we'll, but if you ask any veteran, we'll do it again. doesn't matter. We yeah. would do it all over again if we had to. What, what can we do to better serve men like you, women who serve these veterans? How can we better serve those coming out? Um, better serve those coming out. They're doing a great job. The military has programs out there. It's um, TAP, you know, you know, reintegration. They teach it. Even when we come home from deployment, we have to sit through a class of what it's like to be home because six months at sea, eight months at sea, when you get home, it's like, holy crap, what do I do? I mean, I'm waking up at five o'clock in the morning and making my bed and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm home. <laughs> I don't have to do this. Yeah. So um, what I say is we need to start with the young generation. And this is another point of my book. And, and a lot of this point in but something that you're going to gather from it eventually we need to train the younger generation that they can do whatever they want to do that they can be somebody big and that they can survive anything they need to and we need to train them that they are met that they matter that they're important and then we need to give them a nice childhood let them be children let them be children let them be teenagers let them enjoy life yeah. um so that when they do if they do decide to serve they are not being re-injured every day from the stresses of the military, you know, reminding them of something they went through back home. Um, we see it all the time in the service. Uh, we, we have people from places like from me, from the ghettos and stuff like that. And then we have people from nice suburban areas that come in and, and you can see a real difference in their attitude and the difference in, in their perseverance also and able to succeed better because they have been told they can succeed. Most of us, that grow up in those kind of rural areas, we, we are told, hey, you're gonna be dead or in jail or you better learn how to play basketball or rap or something, you know? So yeah. I think we need to really start with the younger generation. That's how we can help the older generation. The veterans are, are being very well taken care of mm -hmm. and we are trained and believe me, it's so annoying how many classes we have to go through just to get <laughs> out of the military. It's harder to get out than it is to get in, I swear. Oh, that's interesting. It, it really is. It's a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of classes, but it's because they really care and they don't want they don't like seeing homeless veterans on the side of the road asking for money. So our government and our, our service members are taking care of each other. And that's all we can ask for, I guess. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, so you said earlier, uh, just a minute ago, you talked about 
being from the ghetto, as you said, uh, and then you said earlier, we, uh, and you face like systemic abuse almost. Uh, and it, and it kind of got me thinking as we're talking, you know, your story includes so much <laughs> personal abuse that you face personally, but then you add to that the systems mm-hmm. and it's these, you know, the, the systemic issues of, you know, class and race and everything else. Um, talk to me a little bit about that systemic abuse and how that added to what you faced, if you would, what's your perspective on that? All right. So I write, I write in great detail in the story. Um, <clears throat> I also write about my accounts with police being arrested and stuff and, yeah. and what happened to me there. But what happens in these areas is we're at home with some of us like me, we're, you know, immigrants, their parents are immigrants and we're just normal Americans just trying to get through, but they don't understand the culture. And so they're thinking that it's not like it is outside when we're telling them this is what's going on out here, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, like in my case, my mother was abusive. She was a drug addict. Um, so we're dealing with these traumas at home. So what do you, what does a child do when they're dealing with trauma at home? They try to go out, they try to get away. Right. Now, when you get in studies and systemism and systemic systemic abuse, you run outside and you say, "Okay, I want to get away from home, so I'm going to go outside." But then gangs shooting each other, crackheads right there, heroin addicts doing their drugs right there. So you begin to, from a very young age, see that this is what life is. This is what's going to be for you. This is how your life is going to be. Because look around you. Have you seen anything different? And then you add in, besides the gangs and the drug addicts and the home abuse, then you add in, okay, well, these areas are very high crime, so they're heavily policed. Now, the police officers, um, in some cases, they're just out there to do their job, and they see a lot of high crime areas, so they're like, you know what, we need to make sure that we regulate this. But there are those out there that are not trying to do that. So um, in my case specifically, I was arrested, um, and I was abused by the police, and I was you know, scared, you know, scared for my life at the same time. But I, I remember the feeling of do what you're going to do with me. It doesn't matter anyway. I don't have a way out. This, it really doesn't matter. And that's the sad part of people that grow up in these areas. We are, we are abused at home. We're abused on the street. And then we're abused by the people that we put in power to help us. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not their fault, but if you could imagine a high crime area, and then you have a nice area over here, the police are going to be over here and they're going to be making sure that your area, you know, they're arresting and they're doing what they got to do. Um, and they think they're helping, but they're really not. And, and it's, it's not something that it's their fault. It's not something that it's the state's fault. This is, this is society in general in this country that we need to change the mentality, change the, the whole, Hey, you're a different group of people. So you're going to go over here and we're going to get the nicer people over here. We, we need to change that. We need to integrate we need to bring people together. We need to, to get higher paying jobs, get these people out of these areas and clean these places up because it's not fair to the children. Forget about you. If you're a drug addict on the, on the bench and you already done crimes and stuff, you, you know, your life is where it is. But what about those kids watching you set a different example for them? Yeah. And maybe we can change our society. Not now, but a generation come and grandkids can live in a better life in a better world. And that's what I'm hoping for. And that's what I'm trying to reach out with this book. I'm trying to change people's perspectives on reality and how to get people out there to really make a difference for other people. Um, one more thing, if you, don't, if you don't mind. Yeah. I talk about in here how when I was homeless, I, um, I, was, I, I, I woke up in Central Park. I had, done, I had robbed somebody the day before because I needed money. I felt really guilty about it. But I also was just sitting there when I woke up that morning and I was just 
man, I want to end it. This is, I can't do this anymore. So there was a bridge nearby, um, the Queens, uh, the Queens bridge. So I'm like, I'm going to go over there and just jump. Why not? This old lady that would never approach me, that would never have approached somebody like me, especially in Central Park. Central Park is, you know, it's not known for, I know people from the outside think, oh, it's a nice place. It's, it's known for some crimes too. Yeah. This old lady came up to me and she handed me $20. And I was like, no, ma'am, I can't, I can't take this from you. You know, I'm, she said, no, please, you need it more than I do. And she walked away. That's it. Mm. That little gesture that she did to, for me, that little, it kept me saying, you know what? I'm going to live today and I'm going to move on. And that's the point that I'm making with this book. You can't change the world for everyone, but for one person, you can change the world. So you, you, you really, we, we really need to start changing the small little, small little things here and there and helping each other out. And I mean, if I see a homeless person on the, I always keep money in my car. I give it out there. If I see somebody on the side of the road, my wife's a nurse, Hey, we're going over here. We're going to help them out. You know, this is, this is what life is for me. And this is what we need to do for each other. That's why we're here is yeah. to help each other out a little bit at a time. Uh, man, you can't change the entire world, but you can change the world for one person. That's mm -hmm. so, that's so good. Um, so again, you've, you've been through so much. What, and, and I can't imagine the, the mental gymnastics you have had to, uh, you know, perform to get through all of this. Um, again, so glad that you're in therapy. That's, I can't, emphasize that enough um but what's one of the biggest kind of mental obstacles you've had to, to 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 overcome to survive all of this um well through the process of growing up my survival was just like i said it was human nature mm -hmm. now going through therapy and re-injuring basically um the, the the hardest realization has been how far i've let myself fall in a way because we, we feel we're, you take a child and you take somebody and you make them feel worthless for so long. I know we said this earlier, they believe they're worthless. Mm -hmm. And me as an adult at this age with my own children that are teenagers and they're, they're living really nice, good lives. Um, to realize that the only person that's ever been holding me back has been my own mind, me. I've been holding myself back. But it's not on purpose. It's because I was trained to live, to believe that. And so, so the biggest and the most problem, and it was just the, the, the hardest realization was that I can control this. And I know that sounds like, oh, that should be a positive realization. It's not. <laughs> when you look back at all the things you've been through and all the things that you've allowed to happen. And then, and then what we go through affect our relationships. My ex-wife, I, I, I write about it in the book too. I was not the best husband. We were together 15 years and I was not the best husband. And um and I was not the best boyfriend and I was not even the best father at first, but because I was, I let my mind believe that I was not that good of a person. I let my mind believe that. It, so it, the realization through therapy of, Hey, I can, I can control this. I can do this. I can make this was really what hurt me the most. Cause it was like, wow, look at all the people I've hurt along the way. And I could have stopped that. I could have controlled it a long time ago. So that was really my hardest realization that and the fact that, I have no trust for anyone, even though I think I do. And I write, man, that part of the book, I was crying while I was writing it. Cause I remember that moment sitting in therapy when I realized it and it hurt to, to know that I don't have, I don't have an outlet. I don't have people to talk to. I don't, because I don't trust anybody. Mm. It's a sad realization. So mm. those two things. How, how do you build that trust up? 
I have no idea yet. I'm still working on it. <laughs> still working on that? Work in progress? Yeah. That's the thing with this book, too. Uh, people know, hey, this is not some guy that's cured. There's no cure. Right. But I'm working, I'm learning through therapy how to cope with the reality of what I went through. And I'm and, and it's baby steps. I'm yeah. still learning how to cope with a lot of this stuff. It's it's a journey, right? It is. Not a just destination. So and I think it's a life journey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I take my whole life to be able to get to where I need to be. Yeah. And, and along the way, helping others helps you. Um, you know, you, you said earlier that so often the, the, the kids that see the abuse end up and the, and the kids who are abused end up becoming adults who abuse. Um, that is definitely a cycle that, that we see. How do you, how do you recognize that and, and break that cycle? You said your kids are growing up in a, with a great life and it sounds like it. Yes. Um, so there's two things that happen to you when you become abused. And, and this is, I only know one side of it because it actually, I kind of know both sides, but someone who's abused for so long can say, screw the world. I'm going to be just like that. And then there are other people on the other side. And I write this in my book. Like I didn't have a great relationship with my father. So I made sure that everything he did and my mother did, I did the opposite for my children. And that's kind of, so you have those two realities. You have one person saying, well, I'm going to be just like this. And then another person, it's just the way your mind works. Another person saying, well, I've never gotten help. I want to help others. Um, I, I believe that, I believe it just, it just has to do with, I, I don't really have an answer for how can we recognize it, but I do have an answer for how we can change it. Mm-hmm. Just recognize the abuse itself, not the person that was abused. We need to recognize the abuse. If we can identify this child is being abused, we can fix it now while they're still cognitively, you know, able to be retrained and reprogrammed. Let's do it now rather than let's wait for that child to grow up and then abuse somebody else. And now he's the adult abusing a child, you know? So it, it's, it's just that we need to break that cycle in the beginning. Yeah. So like CPS and stuff like that, these programs that have been out there, they do a good job, but I don't think they're doing enough. I think that, I think that the whole, the old mentality of it takes a village to raise a child needs to come back when someone who is an adult next door neighbor, just somebody walking down the street sees a child that needs help or being abused, even verbally. You can always tell that one parent in the super, in the, in the supermarket that's, that's, hey, when we get home and then the person that doesn't care who's looking and beats them, that's probably the person you need to start calling out. Mm. Um, we, need to, we need to raise the children together in society again and go back to that mentality that we had maybe what 50 60 years ago we were we were there we can do it again raise our children together i love that mm-hmm. um i mean this so much good advice so much experience uh, i appreciate the vulnerability the, the authenticity the fact that you're you don't have it all together but you're willing to share your journey um on that note what is what do you want to make sure people hear from you who might, you know, feel hopeless or who might be going through similar things as your story resonates with them, what do you want to make sure they hear? You matter. Your life matters. The, the biggest thing that I, the, the, the one thing with this book is even the classification on Amazon and stuff is not under autobiography. It's under a whole bunch of self-help, a whole bunch of, because this isn't an autobiography. This is a book that I wrote and the way it's written is my life, but it's a way to inspire you to say, you know what, you matter, you can make it. And my hope is that because I went through so much trauma from such a young age on, and you can say, okay, well, I've went through something similar, but not as much. So if he can make it, I can make it. 
if he can survive, I can survive. And that's kind of where I want to go. I want to inspire people to say, man, this person went through all of this and yeah, I'm not perfect still. And I have nothing. I mean, I'm just a normal person. And I write in the book, I'm nobody. You'll never see me down the street and just say, hey, I want to shake that man's hand. You don't know who I am. Yeah, I'm, We're all nobody. We live in a society of nobodies. But we're somebody to somebody. And we matter to those people. So your life matters. Um, you can make it through. I inspire people to say, again, one more day, I can make it. I matter to somebody. Even if I don't matter to everybody, I don't have to. I matter to the people that matter the most. So that's kind of where I want that message to go. So good. And where can people find your message, your book, all of that? Where do you send folks? Well, so first, right now it's on Amazon. We're, we're just dealing with Amazon. COVID got a, kind of got bookstores all crazy and stuff. So we're going to work on that later. Barnes and Nobles for book signing and stuff. That's after COVID. So we got to wait on that. So we're in Amazon. Um, you can look it up by my name, Newton Mato. So you can look it up by Deep Down. But I also have um, Facebook page, business account, uh, Newton Matos author. And then I also have my website, um, newtonmatosauthor.com where you can also click the links to my social media profiles, to the blogs, to reviews, podcasts, which I'm going to be putting on there. And then also to um, Amazon to click and get the book. Newton Matos, Deep Down is the book, Delivered from a Dark Past. Uh, and it is, man, it is so good, Newton. Thank you again for sharing your story, for being a part of this. Um, you, you gave your message of you matter. Any any last words you want to make sure people walk away inspired by? Um keep pushing. Just keep pushing. Yeah. I, I kind of think of Dory when I say it. just keep swimming because <laughs> yes, it is, it is the life that we live in, in this society nowadays is we just got to push through. You have tasks at work and it's a struggle. You can't look at, you can't look at what you have to do the next day when you have so much to do today. Just focus on today. You'll get through it. The next day you'll still be here so you can get through another day. There you go. There is light at the end of the tunnel. I know that now. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, thank you so much, Newton. Newton Matos, newtonmatosauthor.com. Thanks, Newton. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.